0: A
1: podcast one production.
0: You're listening to Global Truths with Dr. Keith Suter. Today we're talking about millionaires, people with money around the world and the mass exodus that is happening in countries like Turkey, China. Keith, what is going on?
1: Well, this is a report which has been published by a bank in Mauritius, and the report looks at the way in which millionaires move around the world. So almost 100,000 people, very rich individuals, changed their country of residence last year. So this is looking at where they are leaving, such as, as you've mentioned there, Turkey, Venezuela, which Venezuela, of course, has the li- some of the largest oil reserves in the world, but is going broke. So people at the wealthy are fleeing there, and they're going on to other countries. And Australia is a very popular destination in per capita terms, we're number one. So this is a report which talks about what's called the w ten. You know we're used to the g seven, the group of seven countries, and the group of seventy seven which are the developing countries, there's now a w ten. So these are the wealth countries, w wealth countries where people are coming in because the country is already rich and as the millionaires arrive so they will contribute to the wealth of those countries. And what I find fascinating is that this is a report from a um, drawn up by a think tank based in South Africa, published by a bank in Mauritius, no obvious connection to Australia, and yet Australia receives so many good references to the report. And what I find intriguing, in this country, we get so many shock jocks complaining about the country going to the dogs and everything's going wrong. Well, I've got to say, on a global basis, we are attracting wealthy people. To but this it, country.
0: Isn't that always the way, though, and cause in terms of every headline, every negative comment made by politicians about the state of our economy? The bottom line is it's a brilliant economy. It, it survived the global financial crisis. No one else did. It hums along.
1: And it's doing extremely well indeed. And also, let me just say that in the report, they list some of the factors that encourage wealth growth. So, strong safety and security. And Australia is number one for female security in the world. Um, strong ownership rights. Um, in other words, that when you own property, the government's not going to steal it off you. Very different from, say, Zimbabwe, where people have been fleeing the country. Strong economic growth. So Australia is the wonder down under. We have had the longest period of consecutive economic growth in Western history, going back, you know, a couple of centuries. Strong, um, a, a well-developed banking system and stock market, which is a bit of a question mark there when you look at the banking scandals we've got here. But so is everybody else. Free and independent media, low level of government intervention. In other words, governments don't interfere and nationalise industries, etc. But sometimes called sovereign risk when a government just suddenly says we rather like your assets, we'll take them over. You don't do that in Australia. Low-income tax and company tax rates, which is interesting because Australia, generally speaking, does have low-income tax. I know you won't get that impression listening to the politicians, but Australia does quite well internationally. Ease of investment um, and wealth migration. In other words, we welcome people who've got wealth uh, to bring them into this country. Um, So, you know, we have a a favourable immigration policy policy, pretty tough if you're an asylum seeker arriving by boat, but if you arrive in your own private jet, you're fine. So there's some of the factors that make Australia attractive, along with other countries like New Zealand. There's also a number of people who, particularly in the United States, thinking about the end of the world, are now moving to New Zealand or at least buying property there. And, of course, they've got their own private planes to be able to fly, and you've got to be able to fly not only yourself and your family, but the pilot and their family have got to be able to fly to New Zealand where they will sit out the end of the world.
0: Quite amazing. (laughs) So hold on a minute. Um, We're quite happy. Our government, just on a side issue, uh, is very happy for these people who are very moneyed to come here. Yep. But... Not refugees or...
1: Not the asylum seekers. No, no, no. No, no, no. no, no. And because you get you know, the the media running scare campaigns. We actually don't have an asylum seeker problem in this country. Very different from, say, the United States. Every 18 seconds, somebody enters the United States either legally or illegally. We're nowhere near that capacity. We are surrounded by a giant moat. It's actually very difficult to, to get to this country. Uh, but again, the media are on the lookout... For stories, sort of whip up the frenzy about a handful of asylum seekers.
0: So let's go back to the millionaires that are yep. escaping these countries also. Well, you know, I use the word escaping lightly. They've chosen to leave these countries. Yep. Um, Turkey, China, let's talk about some of the countries and what the issues are and what we think they're escaping from.
1: Well, some of the countries um, from which they are escaping, you've got the Chinese who are moving um, to the United States, Canada and Australia, Um They're obviously worried about their wealth being taken over by the government. And so there might be a bit of a question mark as to how they acquired that wealth. You know, President Xi is on this anti-corruption campaign. Um, Indian high net wealth individuals are moving to the United States, uh, the Middle East, the United Arab Emirates. Uh, Canada, Australia, New Zealand. Uh, That's an interesting
0: one. Why the UAE?
1: Well, exactly. But they obviously figure they're going to be treated well there, not in (laughs) Saudi Arabia. Remember, people are moving out of Saudi, but UAE obviously is welcoming to it. And in in the case of India, it's a crackdown by Modi's government on people who are not paying taxes. Um, And they talk about taxation terrorism because the the people who are in charge of what we would call the Australian Taxation Office, they have unlimited power to investigate you. And so a lot of Indians are saying that we're worried about corruption within the tax office and they're going to come and take our assets away.
0: So these corrupt people that we are willingly letting into our country?
1: You're making a statement there, Kate, (laughs) which I don't necessarily endorse, (laughs) right? These are people who are bringing money in. It's interesting. If you look at the UK example, the UK for the first time well, in decades, I guess, is now losing high-net-wealth individuals. We, you know, we've had a, a very celebrated Russian recently, uh, losing these high-net-wealth individuals to the French. Now, traditionally, people have avoided France because of this Napoleonic tradition of socialism, etc. cetera, uh, and so they've gone to the United Kingdom. The United Kingdom, for the last 30 years, has run a policy of welcoming rich individuals. Uh, and you, if you're in London, you'll, you'll see the signs of that wealth, you ring up a real estate agent with a foreign accent, they love you because they know they're going to get more money out of you than they will out of the locals. Um, and yet in the last couple of years, there has been a reaction against the wealthy foreigners in London and the rest of the UK. And so they are now leaving the UK and they're settling in France and elsewhere. And as I say, there's a celebrated Russian individual who's decided that he will not return to the United Kingdom and instead will be based in France. So here you see the British government reacting to um, the anger that is being felt by a lot of British people that you've got these rich people who are simply not paying enough tax. And so, ironically, Theresa May, who's supposed to be, um, you know, a conservative and therefore a supporter of the money class, she is reacting to this populism at the grassroots and saying, yes, we're now going to crack down on these individuals. In fact, the, con- the government that did most to encourage these millionaires to settle in the United Kingdom was actually the Labor government of Tony Blair, followed on from Gordon Brown. They were the ones who let people in. The banks were very lax in terms of their banking standards, um, as we saw in the global financial crisis. You know, you've know, you got to bear in mind that um, if you take something like the Commonwealth Bank in Australia, which was always seen as a boring bank. um, after the global financial crisis, became the fifth largest bank in the world, not because of anything that it did, but it was the last person standing, so to speak. The other banks had crashed. Some, you know, had gone broke. In the United Kingdom, the British government was having to nationalise banks for the first time in 100 years. Um, so there were very lax banking standards. And, and, of course, that was also of advantage to the super rich, that they would have banks who wouldn't pay too much attention to the movement of money in and out. Uh, So now uh, we've had a Conservative government who's cracking down on these foreigners and is obviously enjoying public support as a result of doing so.
0: This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. We're talking today about a mass exodus of very, very wealthy people from countries like Venezuela, from China, from Turkey, uh, and they're going to countries like Australia, like the UAE, and it's just these hundreds of thousands of them that are just... Changing countries, just deciding to change countries. For whatever reason it is, we're investigating those reasons and the countries that they're coming from and the countries they're going to. Uh, Keith, we just talked about how the UK is getting is – is trying to put pressure on some of these millionaires coming into their own countries because they're not paying enough tax. Well, why would we want them here in Australia if that is the way? If they're trying to escape, tax is one of the reasons that they're, in, they're leaving their country. Why does the Australian government um, welcome them with open arms?
1: Um, the government lets them in um, because, obviously, they will bring money with them. And then if they've got money, they've got money to spend, so they will buy real estate. So it's quite interesting, uh, more noticeable perhaps in Melbourne than here in Sydney, but there are some estates that you can now go around in Melbourne at night and buildings are just in darkness. The Chinese have bought apartments but don't live in them and don't put tenants in them. The tenants are a nuisance, so they don't need the rent from the tenants, so they just buy the apartments. Um, And so... Uh, and what, the, what are they doing? They are parking money in Australia. If they keep the money back in China, there's a risk that someone might take it, namely the government. So what they are doing is simply buying apartments in Australia. They're buying real estate. They're buying houses, sometimes through a buyer's agent. Um, just buy the property
0: and then leave it vacant. But there be, there's been a big issue with this because particularly, well, not not, not just Melbourne, in Sydney as well, and other, and other big cities in the in the country, the Chinese end up buying, pushing everyone else out of the market.
1: Exactly. And in Vancouver, they've actually been banned now from buying real estate. Remember, Canada is also a magnet for the high net wealth individuals. And Vancouver, which has quite a large Chinese population anyway, have simply said, no, we're going to put a stop as, insofar as they can. Remember, if you buy a property through a property agent... You've got a problem there with trying to monitor who's the actual end owner of the property. Um, But it it certainly has been a problem, as you say, that people arrive and they're pushing up the property values. If you're a real estate company, you think this is great. Or if you're attached to the real estate industry business, you know, as a decorator builder, this is all a good development. So the government is caught in a, um, if you like, in a bit of a dilemma. On the one hand, you've got people who are, particularly young Australians who can't afford to buy into the market. But at the same time, you've got a lot of business interests who are saying, no, let these people in.
0: They're they're good for our business. So what are the benefits they bring with them in terms of business, for example?
1: Well, they bring in a business and obviously they then may well want to set up their own company in this country. Uh, For many years now, Australia has sold citizenship and we're sitting here on the edge of Chinatown. And in the days when I was handling immigration, um, you know, we, we always used to say, well, if you want to come into the country, I think in those days it's like a quarter of a million dollars and you employ two people, and you can do that across the road in a sandwich shop, you'll get Australian citizenship. So we sell Australian citizenship. Now, whether we're still doing it, I'm no, I'm no longer involved with immigration, so I'm no longer monitoring it. But in the old days, that's what we were doing. We used to sell citizenship because it was economic rationalism. There's a price on everything, and that includes citizenship. So the people would come in with their money, uh, and if you're leaving the United Kingdom, for example, and you sell your house in the UK, you would be able to make that money very easily in the sale of your property. So you come into this country, um, and then you're able to uh, set up a business, get Australian citizenship and your kids will be educated in the local schools, et cetera.
0: So how do the governments of the countries that these wealthy individuals are leaving, how are they reacting to this? Because surely it's covered there in the report.
1: Well, no, it's. Um, I don't think the government's particularly publicising what's going on. What reaction there's been to Turkey, to this report, who knows? I don't even know if they would have read the report. Um and, but it does also reflect very badly on them, particularly in a case like Venezuela, which is in a very well-publicised collapse, a country which is potentially incredibly rich because of its oil and yet is actually verging on bankruptcy, people fleeing the country. Um, obviously, this type of report only adds to the public concern about what's the future of this country.
0: And the countries are so varied when you look at them. Turkey, Venezuela, China... What is it that that, that bands them together, do you think? What do they have in common? Why?
1: No, I think all the countries are different. In the same way that you you can identify certain reasons why people would find Australia or Canada, United States attractive, Um, the people fleeing these other countries, they're all fleeing for different reasons. So it may well be they're worried about religious unrest. Um, you know that the concern that they may be in a minority that could be persecuted it's obviously an issue although it's not happening yet but an issue of Chinese in Indonesia um, the Chinese are disproportionately wealthy so you could imagine as we saw 20 years ago in the Asian financial crisis a lot of anti-chinese feeling so there are people who are rich should be monitoring the level of uh, religious um, intolerance um, it may well be that people feel unsafe because of a high crime level, um, that they may have no confidence in the political system. You know, we treat the Australian political system with contempt, um, but we're not expecting them to come and arrest us. Whereas in some of these other societies, like Russia, they certainly will. And so there are a number of reasons why people are being pushed out of the countries, the number of reasons why people are fleeing to particular countries. Um, I think that's largely due to. Um, certain common factors which I've already identified and I've listed them. You know the the, the taxation arrangements, etc. Security over your possessions, security over your you know pri- over your body, etc. The, these are important magnet
0: reasons. I'm I'm still unclear why. I mean, there's probably political reasons why people would flee Turkey, but why people? What are the reasons you can see? that you understand to be the reason that people are fleeing somewhere like Turkey?
1: Well, because of the instability that is occurring there now. They've got a leader who's got a very ambitious program ahead of him, uh, Mr Erdogan, and he has clearly got ideas, but that some people are just saying, look, this is going to lead to political instability, may lead to inflation. Let's get out now. And remember, these people, if they're really rich, have the opportunity to get out in a way that ordinary people don't, or if they are going to get out, they're going to have to go in a boat and therefore may not get very far. Whereas if you're super wealthy, you might even have your own plane. And so you can actually then fly from one country to another.
0: So is there any kind of monitoring of these people once they get to, and we've already said that a lot of them coming here to Australia, uh, a lot of them going to Canada, um, the US, all the wealthy countries of the world. Um, Is there any sort of monitoring that goes on once they arrive? Like like, I guess, with asylum seekers or anyone else.
1: No, they don't get the same sort of attention in that respect. So the asylum seekers absolutely do get a lot of monitoring because they arrive by boat and it's very obvious. If they arrive by air, they have far less of a hassle, but a lot of people can't afford a plane ticket. Uh, But if you're coming in as a high net wealth individual um, with well over a million dollars in assets... Um, then you'll be get treated very well. And it's interesting because Australia has had to change its immigration policies. I um, um, uh, handled the immigration of a person who was the last leader alive to declare war on Hitler. And so it's, a, it's an interesting story in itself, the Brook family, Anthony Brook. So the Brook family were eventually expelled from what was then Sarawak and um, they all received a huge sum of money from the British government in compensation. Uh, he, and he became a, what's called a name at Lloyd, so he never worked again in his life, but was involved with lots of good causes and decided he wanted to move away from Reagan's America and to come to either Australia or New Zealand. I had to negotiate with the Department of Immigration to try to get him into Australia, because at that time, our immigration rules only related to poor people. And so this... Uh, The immigration official I was dealing with was saying, uh, is this person skilled? Well, I mean, he's not. Uh, He went to Eton, uh, but he's not skilled. Is he a poor person? I said, no, he used to own a country. (laughs) In the end, you know, it just took me such a long time because we had no provision in those days to handle an Anthony Brooke type figure. And he ultimately went on to live in New Zealand and became quite a well-known Figure in New Zealand, but uh, what is interesting is that Australia in the last thirty years has changed its regulations. So if I went now, Anthony died recently, um, but if I if I were handling Anthony's immigration today, I would have an easier time because yes, we do have rules that deal with the super wealthy. We didn't back in the nineteen eighties, but we have changed the rules somewhere along the line to cope with a super wealthy individual wanting to come. Uh, into this country.
0: And, you know, there is a big political hot potato immigration, really, isn't it? Like refugees particularly. But do you reckon that everyday Australians, uh, how do you think they would feel about all these people being able to come to Australia just because they've got money?
1: I don't think that, that, well, we don't know because it's never been an issue. The media focus on the asylum seekers. They don't focus on the super rich coming to this country. Indeed, the media revolve around the lifestyles of the rich and famous. So uh, in that sense, therefore, uh, I I would imagine the ordinary Australians would be unaware that we rank so highly in terms of attracting millionaires and billionaires. What is also interesting, as this report points out, is there's not been a dramatic increase in the number of millionaires and billionaires going to the United States, even though the United States now has a billionaire president and the argument is that although he's a billionaire, he's also very nationalistic and very hostile towards foreigners. So a lot of people are saying we'll prefer Canada or Australia. Thank you. We're not going to risk the United States. So it's been really interesting. It's actually been a very, very small increase in the number of these high net wealth individuals who've decided to go and settle in the United States.
0: Well, here's the question. Why do the Indian population, wealthy Indians, want to go to America when when Trump is cracking down on uh, companies like Amazon not paying their taxes? And he's making it a big thing, even though he's not really renowned for paying his taxes either, by the way. (laughs) The hypocrisy is breathtaking. Yeah. But why would uh, the Indian population gravitate towards America? Is it just that sort of Hollywood sort of that culture everyone grows up with? So it glorifies America and you just want to be there anyway? Well,
1: and of course, a lot of Indians um, work in the the Silicon Valley industry, information technology. IT also stands for Indians and Taiwanese. So if you go around Silicon Valley, you will come across already a lot of Indians and Taiwanese who are already working there. So, and they have been making that journey to the, to the United States now for half a century because the US government has been encouraging that sort of brain drain. Let the Indians pay for the education of their people and then we will recruit the smartest ones to come and work in IT. But it is interesting that given the um, increasing level of ra- racial tension in the United States, that a lot of Indians are preferring to go elsewhere, such as Australia and New Zealand, Canada.
0: Better countries, come on, <laughs> Keith. <laughs> You're very patriotic, Kate. <laughs> <laughs> Look at it. It's the best country. How could you not want to come here? <laughs> exactly.
1: That's my view. And it's also interesting. Let me just sit before we finish. Let me just deal with... The, what's called the Women safe, the woman Safety indes, uh, Index, which is part of the report. Because remember, one of the reasons why people leave is because they feel unsafe. And the five safest countries for women around the world are Australia, Malta, Iceland, New Zealand and Canada. So we are the number one safest country for women wow. in the world. It's very interesting. So you're right, Kate, if from a female point of view, this is the country to live.
0: Plus everything else we're good at and the beauty and we could go on all day, Keith.
1: <laughs> Indeed.
0: This has been Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. It's recorded in the studios of Podcast One. Producer is me, Kate Mack. Production assistance by Live Proud. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. And for more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app.